Hi, everyone. Welcome to Ask the Horse Live. I'm your host, Michelle Anderson, Digital Managing Editor of The Horse. Tonight, we're talking about managing horses in the summer heat. Uh, but before we get started, we at The Horse have a special offer for Ask the Horse Live listeners. Subscribe to our print magazine and get 75% off the cover price at thehorse.com slash askthehorseoffer. That's just $15 for a year subscription. You'll get vetted and accurate horse health care information each month throughout the year. So just before we got started on this event, I was standing out in the sun with my mare while the saddle fitter was fitting my saddle for this weekend's ride. And wow, was it warm out there. This time of year in the high desert of central Oregon, it's always toasty and it can make riding difficult, especially when the hardest, hottest part of the day falls just as my work day is ending. And that's the time when I can ride. And it's not just riding. How can we keep our horses comfortable on scorching hot days or sticky humid ones. Tonight to help us navigate those challenges we're joined by Dr. Jeanette J. Merrow of Mariposa Equine Services in California. Welcome Dr. Merrow. Thank you. So Dr. Merrow can you tell us a little bit about your experience managing horses in heat especially competitive horses? Sure Ken. Um, I have been an equine veterinarian for 25 years now. had horses for much longer than that, probably 30, 35 years. Uh, but I have competed on both coasts, so I have lots of experience with uh, high heat and humidity on the East Coast, and then in 2005 moved to California and then deal with the dry heat and competed in endurance uh, competition, and I'm the chair of the veterinary committee for nearly 10 years now. And as you're well aware that, you know, we, we press our horses and compete our horses in conditions that a lot of people would never even consider. So we deal with heat and humidity, uh, hot and dry and hot and humidity on a routine basis. Mm -hmm. And that's with the AERC that you're on the vet committee for? That's correct. Okay. Yep. Um, so I'm going to do a quick review for everyone of our Ask the Horse Live format before we jump into our questions. We're going to start with the questions that were submitted during registration. If you are listening to us live and you have questions that you would like to send in or a clarification on something that Dr. Merrow shares, you can go ahead and enter that in your chat window that's on your computer. Um, otherwise, if you're listening to our archive or podcast and you're interested in joining us during one of our live events so you can get your questions answered in real time, you can register to receive our announcements at thehorse.com or visit thehorse.com slash askthehorselive. So Dr. Merrow, we're gonna go ahead and get started. Uh, our first question is from Justine in Salem, Oregon, and she wants to know what are the most important guidelines that determine if you should or should not ride your horse in hot weather? I was wondering if we could actually group one and two together because they're essentially going to be the, the similar answers. So okay. the one answers number two. Okay. Um, so and, and I also... Let me put a plug. I want to say, as an equine veterinarian, I love your publication, and I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir, but I, I highly recommend it for my clients. It's, it's just one of the most outstanding uh, publications out there for horse owners. Oh, thank you. Um, we appreciate that. Um, and so, okay, the, yeah, wanting well, to get to that next question, why don't I go ahead and, and read that as well? That's from Katie in Albany, okay. Ohio. And she said, what's the number um, that is the sum of temperatures and humidity beyond which you shouldn't ride your horse? So what I think Katie's getting at here is there's a point where humidity makes it everything even hotter 
um, and for our horses. So uh, what are the guidelines and hot right. heat and humidity, uh, Dr. Merrill? Right. So in the last handful, maybe five or 10 years, there's been a lot of science um, that's been applied to these sorts of um, conditions, starting with the summer games in Atlanta and then just a lot of research. And, and, and then with WEG last year, they used a lot of this as well. And what they came up with is when you're doing these quote important guidelines, what you want to do is add temperature in Fahrenheit to the humidity percentage and add them together. And if you get a number that's, for example, um, 130 or less, you're generally your horse is going to be able to compensate and heat loss uh, through the horse sweating is not really going to be a problem. At 150, so, you know, for example, it's, um, it's 75 degrees out, but it's 75% humidity, you have a number that's 150, you're going to start having some difficulty because the more humid it is, it's harder for the horse to cool itself through sweating. And the real number that um, I would say, I'm sure there's some there's some arguing here or there, but the number where uh, there's a consideration to canceling events would be 170 to 180. So, you know, I think of 90% humidity and 90 degree heat in, say, the southeast. With that said, I will tell you that we in the endurance world do tend to run um, events. It's not uncommon to run events all the time in, in that sort of um uh, what am I calling it? guidelines, if you will, but we manage extra care. The veterinarians will provide for, um, help the rider provide extra care by more careful monitoring. There may be some changes to the parameters. However, I think at WEG, they hit up, they were even higher when they decided to cancel the endurance ride that day. I think they were well into the 180s, 190s, and they determined that it was not safe anymore but that's why i'm saying these questions are basically linked together you you add them together and absolutely 170 180 is some but something that should give an owner pause on you know maybe they need to be either not do the event or be cautious so when the topic of heat comes up and competitive horses it, the the research it seems like it's done on uh you know the higher end eventing horses and the endurance horses, we're really talking about elite athletes. Do these same guidelines apply to your average um, 4-H horse that's showing at county fair during August or someone who's going horse camping um, in July and it's extra sticky? Like, Should they be paying attention when they don't have a show, an organization that might be saying, no, we aren't competing our horses in these conditions? Absolutely. I think there's two parts to that. Number one, horses like humans take about three weeks um, plus to heat adapt. So you, you, uh, for example, Tevis is coming up out here on the West Coast, and it's actually not been that hot yet. But my horses just standing around in their pastures in 100 degree heat are going to be more heat adapted to dealing with what they're going to face on the trail in Tevis than, say, a horse that might be living up in 10,000 feet in Colorado and it's only 80 or somewhere where it's only 80 degrees. So you, you want the heat adaptability and that is both standing around in their in normal environment and um, working. So it, it takes a while for them to work to learn to uh, compensate. And then the second part is, uh, yes, elite athletes certainly are going to be 
better able to cope with heat stress than somebody that only rides once a week or only does a little bit of work. So those folks would need to be particularly careful and a little more attentive, perhaps, that their horse may or may not handle the stress that well. So in other words, you should probably at least, we tell people, train in what you think you're going to deal with. So even the 4-H'er that knows that they have to go show in August, shouldn't necessarily wait until seven o'clock at night when it's 70 degrees. They probably need to be out working their horse when it's really hot so the horse can learn its machinery of its physiology and the body can learn to adapt to those conditions. And that's a really good tip. I actually hadn't considered that because, you know, we always, I would prefer to ride when it's cool out, but I do show my horses when it's hot out. So maybe I should absolutely well, so you don't have to do it all the time but right at least half of your your horse will do better in the very hot environment of whatever competition you're doing if it's accustomed to at least having I would there's no number here but um, you know at least 50% of its workouts if not more okay. our next question is from Janice in Phoenix Arizona and she wants to know what are the signs of heat exhaustion in horses I'm trying, okay, so if you're going to get into heat exhaustion, we'll start before actual on, onset heat stroke. And so heat stroke is where the horse is really in trouble. Heat exhaustion, you'll start to notice that the horse is breathing rapidly, might be panting. You might feel at the heart rate, you can feel it right at the elbow uh, level on the chest with your hand. The horse might have gone from excessively sweating to suddenly not sweating as much. Those are possibilities to even no sweating. If you had a thermometer, the rectal temperature would be up around 104 or, or more. The subtle things that the owners might start to notice, though, would be that the horse doesn't feel as forward. So it's a little more lethargic. It's a little weak. It might be stumbling. It's not ears forward in the go, go, go mode. If you're working a horse on a hot day and that is starting to happen, you're going to get, that's your signal, stop, you know, time to really consider that maybe the heat is starting to bother this horse. Okay. And so then what does heat stroke look like compared to heat exhaustion? So heat stroke will then, the body temperature will start to get up in the levels of 105, 106. The, um, the horse will be pretty dehydrated. So when you pinch the skin, we don't use the neck now, we use the shoulder, uh, that it, it won't return. If you pinch it up, it won't return to its um, flatness for several, several seconds. The gums might start to get dark and tacky. The horse is absolutely going to be breathing, breathing very hard. Uh, generally, a heat stroke, really severe exhausted horse is, is looks like Ears flat, head down, can't really hold its head up. It's very weak. Those are all uh, signs that the that heat stroke is now starting to occur. They can look very disoriented even in neurologics because they the brain is getting overcooked, if you will, and the brain is very sensitive to temperature, and so the horse is not actually all there, if you will. So if you have a horse that has heat exhaustion or heat stroke, um, what is typically, how is that managed or what, what is the treatment or what are the treatment options for those so horses? We move, yeah, so if we start with just a horse not, if we, the simplest way to think of it is, is let's start with the simplest thing, which is a horse that's just maybe struggling with the heat. 
So you're you're riding a horse in the arena or you're out on trail and you're you're coming towards a bigger hill or you're just trucking along and you just feel like your horse has suddenly lost a gear or lost its motor. That's the sign to say, okay, I'm going to jump off. I'm going to maybe check their heart rate. If it's racing along, that's not good. If it doesn't start to drop right away the minute you stop exercise, if the if he's panting and breathing heavily, if he looks kind of tired, that's the sign that, okay, it's time to stop now. And if you catch this fast enough, and what you do is you immediately strip the horse, get rid of all the tack, all the boots, anything that's going to trap heat. You look for shade, first of all, and then you look for a water source. So if you're near your, your barn or an arena, that's easy. Go find your hose, go find water buckets. You let the horse drink. We, we we were talking about earlier, we were talking about the mythology of heat and horses. A hot horse should be allowed to drink as much as it needs because it needs to intake fluid because it lost a lot of fluid while it was sweating and now it's getting dehydrated and getting itself into trouble. It needs that sweat to help it cool. So you're going to find shade, get rid of all the tack, you're going to let it drink, and then hopefully you have an unlimited water source and you're going to just start dumping water on the horse, lots and lots and lots of water. And what happens is the horse's body is moving the heat out of the muscles to the skin because it wants to do convection or evaporative cooling, if you will. And so if you bring cold water to the skin, it'll draw, it'll help draw off even more heat. Now, this is where you keep going. If you have an animal that's in really bad shape and has heat stroke and is just parked out, head down, rectal temp of 106 and up then you're going to try to find some ice water and you're going to absolutely just douse that horse in ice water over and over and over um, most of your people will not get a horse that much in trouble they're just probably going to deal with a little bit of heat stress if you will mm -hmm. and probably maybe a little bit of heat exhaustion and so shade Ventilation is the other big one, so don't put your horse in the shade, but then maybe by the side of a barn where it won't get any breeze. So you want you want ventilation and water and shade, and you walk a little bit, and then you do more water, and you walk a little bit, and you do more water. The walking helps bring more heat to the surface of the skin, and in this we proved this really well in the Atlanta Olympics where they. Uh, blew the all out of the water, the idea that you can't put cold water on the big, large muscles. Yes, you can. And then they stood them in front of fans. So they were basically getting both the best of all worlds. They had shade boxes with fans with ice water. And it worked really well. Um, our next question is from Melody in Grantsville, Maryland. And she wants to know if the signs of heat exhaustion differ between older horses and younger horses. The only the only difference would be that, like all of us, as we age, we're not as great an athlete as we used to be. And so older horses, might, one could say, would probably be a little more prone to heat stress because they're not going to sweat as well and their physiology isn't going to be quite as tuned up as an athlete. As far as the signs, no, there won't be any difference, really. It'll be the same. You'll see the same in a young horse to an old horse. And we have a related question from Lynn in our live audience. She said her vet diagnosed her 24-year-old gelding with PPID last fall while and while they were treating him. Um, while they are treating him, he still has a thicker hair coat than the younger horses. Is there anything that she needs to do differently to help her horse stay cool during the summer? Absolutely. I um, encourage all my owners 
uh, we use we use medication to, to help with PPID, and hopefully they finally shed off in the summer. But either A, if they don't shed soon enough, or B, don't shed enough. I encourage my owners to get out those clippers and do a full body clip because some of those poor animals look like woolly mammoths and that's just really unfun to be 80, 90 degree heat, whether there's humidity or not, and have that kind of a coat. So the best thing you can do is get them clipped down as close to the, you know, fairly tight clip all of the body. And then you would just provide the same amount of uh, care that you would for any of your horses, which is access to lots of water, shade, ventilation, those sorts of things. So beyond the hair coat on PPID horses, do they have trouble with thermoregulation in general just related to their illness? Or is there any reason to be concerned about them beyond the hair coat? Yeah, I think they do. You know, because we know now that it's they're really producing hormones of all kinds of different layers and levels, if you will, since the pituitary is the master gland, depending on how, and horses certainly experience PPID from mild to severe. So certainly moderate to severe animals. Personally, I think they absolutely do struggle with the heat. Even when they have a clipped coat, they, you know, they tend to have high glucose. So they're almost like a, you know, they're basically a diabetic type horse. They, may or may not sweat as well they have difficulty with with um protein so i think yeah i think we, there's probably a lot there that we don't even understand but because they're dealing with high levels of steroids they're just they're in a system that is not the same as a normal horse so besides the thicker coat i feel they struggle with all kinds of things more than just your normal horse that doesn't have ppid we have a question from Annette in our live audience, and she wants to know, at what point is the temperature too hot to consider safely transporting your horse in a trailer? That is probably going to be, uh, there will not be any sort of hard bar line, if you will. You, we do know that trailers get really hot, um, and the, the trailers that have, The trailers that have, sorry, I'm here. Are we there? Yep. We're here. Oh, okay. Yep. So trailers that have really good ventilation and insulation, because you can actually get the horse compartment insulated and are not dark color, are going to provide a little bit better uh, transport scenario for, for horses. Uh, there are plenty of people that will haul across the country right through the middle of the summer personally. Um, if it's going to be in, in the West Coast, if it's going to be high 90s or 100, I would not haul. I would wait till nighttime when it drops. Now, on the East Coast, again, you're dealing, or anywhere where there's humidity, you know, 90, 85, 90, 95 degree temperatures with very high humidity would, would concern me, and I'd probably also haul at night. Um, I don't, you could provide fans on the same, same ideas apply. So ventilation will help the horse, adequate water sources. So you're probably going to have to stop more frequently and offer them more water. But if it can be at all avoided, it I think it's, uh, what's the word, more fair for the horses to travel at night when it's a little cooler. Mm -hmm. So you do, you travel a lot with your horses. So do you 
um, have a trailer that's more open or do you have a trailer that's more closed? I know like I, I, I quote upgraded to a trailer that was more enclosed and I actually think my horses are less comfortable in the nicer, more expensive trailer because the old one was more open and airy and had better airflow. Um, do you have any thoughts on, on what makes the best, the best kind of horse trailer when you're, you're hauling in heat? Yeah, I, I have one where the front, the head side drops down and then they can, you know, they're in that with just bar. So they have free air, it's vents on top and it, uh, but the back side is just sliding windows. I would, I would have loved to have had drop down doors on both sides because I think that would give you just the great cross breeze protection, but at least um, the, so in the summertime, I absolutely would never travel with those drop down doors not open. So if you had a trailer that didn't give you solid bars, so a horse can't go flying through, because I've had to deal with that, um, I would either get them installed or do, do something. But I, that's a good question. I would never travel in the summertime with those enclosed um windows where the horses are and only have like the sliding glass you'd never get enough ventilation through there no. i don't think at all yeah i should have kept the cheap trailer <laughs> <laughs> um pat in columbus north carolina has a question uh, she wants to know if horses should be routine, routinely hosed off when sweating even when coming in from the pasture and not necessarily exercising so i think her question is if you see your horse is sweating a little in the pasture should you take time out of your day to go out there and hose them down and kick them back out into the pasture right sure no i i absolutely the horses that are out in the field sweating you know that's they're just showing you that they're dealing with the heat by sweating that's what they do and as long as their ears up happy perky eating their hay or grazing and looking good, I would absolutely not, you know, they do not have to be hosed off. They, when they're not forced to exercise, they do remarkably well. I mean, I, we have, we have forces here in a hundred plus degree heat that don't even stand under the shade. They're, they just, they do fine. So it's when we apply exercise to the equation that we can start to get into trouble. I think that's interesting mentioning the sweating being a natural way that the horse cools itself uh, because I think shivering's like that too. I know I still, I, I get a little concerned when I see my horses shivering in the cold, but I did at one point have a vet say they're just doing their job and getting warm. Um, so that's not the end of the world if that's happening. I don't know if you would agree or not, but that was something that, that my vet had told me um, that maybe we get a little concerned um, for our horses. Well, you're in that, you're in the same kind of area. We're in a tough area where I used to live in the upper um, Northeast, upstate New York. And I tell, and so it's very cold and snowy and, and the horses get nice thick coats or I blanket them and they have lots of insulation and it's all good because it snows. Where you are and I am, we get that nasty 40 degree cold and wet. It's the raining swing. and that's, then that's really hard on them and yes they will they will absolutely shiver because they lost all their insulation and the hair is just matted down um i don't i personally i don't like it honestly i will try to blanket or or do something but they're you're right there isn't much you can do they're trying to produce heat mm -hmm. to uh to warm themselves 
we we have a question from Ashley in our live audience, um, and Ashley says she bought a horse from Canada over the winter, and now that it's gotten hot, and she's in Alabama, uh, her horse has diagnosed her, or her vet has diagnosed her horse with anhydrosis. What's the best way to manage him? She bought him to event, but she's not sure that he'll be okay to do that at this point. That's uh, a bummer, Ashley, to that, get a horse it, from a cold climate. terrible. Yeah. Right. So, and I don't you assume you're right. Anhydrosis is when a horse has lost either all or most of its ability to sweat. And because it's that is the main way that a horse has adapted to cool itself, that's a major problem in hot climates. We don't really understand the mechanism behind it. We don't really have good treatment for it. We just sort of manage it. So, that to buy that horse to be an inventor is really going to be trouble. And in fact, what is often recommended is uh, generally horses exhibit that when they live in hot, humid climates, they've been athletes, they've adapted to sweat a lot, a lot, a lot. And then for some reason, some of them will stop. It's, it's recommended to move them into a colder climate. So I, I don't have a lot of tips for her other than she just has to be on top of you know, keeping that horse working within the conditions that it can. She'd have to use a lot more water to help cool him down, mm-hmm. him or her down, keep her workouts, you know, be very, very attentive to the horse telling her, I'm too hot or I'm too tired, I'm he's breathing too fast, he's lost his energy. That that's a that's a bummer. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Our next question is from Sarah in our live audience, and she wants to know if giving a horse a Guinness beer can really help with hydration during the heat. And if so, uh, (laughs) should it be given before or after work? And uh, and I feel like Guinness is also somehow associated with anhydrosis, too, that there's there's some kind of link there with people giving their horses Guinness. What, What do you know about beer and horses? Um, I, I actually don't know a whole lot. Probably what they're after, though, is some of the electrolytes that would be in the Guinness and the, the and the um, concentration of it would probably draw more more fluid. But um, yeah, personally, I think you'd be better off just providing some electrolytes to your horse several days before the event, you know, during the event and then after the event. I think you'd get a little bit further ahead. And, of course, you're talking to an endurance rider, so we use a lot of electrolytes. Yeah, and maybe save the beer for the rider, so. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, Our next question is from Jenny in Pennsylvania, and she wants to know how electrolytes actually work, and she's listening live. So the horse uh, has adapted to, it's not only losing a large volume of water, if you will, or fluid, it's losing a lot of, of sodium chloride, predominantly also to some degree magnesium and chloride and and potassium uh, would be the third one and then magnesium and chloride in its sweat human for for comparison is much better adapted much better at sparing those uh, electrolytes in its in our sweat and the horse has not so they uh, absolutely put an overload and they can lose a lot and and depending on how much they are exercising so again somebody ambling along the trail in in the hot weather that has uh, the horse has been eating well and ate a lot of hay 
the night before is probably going to be just fine. The gut, we've learned now finally that the gut is a wonderful reservoir for those electrolytes that the horse is going to lose. So we don't try to, even the high-end elite horses, we don't try to replace 100% of the loss. The current recommendation now is somewhere around 20 to 45% replacement. So the the um, electrolytes are just that's some of the foam that you're seeing, as well as a little protein in the in the sweat when the horses go from really wet, thick, white, foamy sweat. And then um, some of your reader, your listeners will probably notice that um, if they're starting a horse in the summer and it starts really thick, and then as the horse quote heat adapts, they get a little better at conserving their electrolytes and the protein and their sweat will actually get a little clearer and more runny. That's the kind the kind you're looking at. But basically it's just a normal it's just normal for a horse to put out a lot of electrolytes in their sweat. And we have a follow up question from Rodrigo in our live audience and he wants to know what are the best electrolytes to use for horses in very hot weather. You know, there's a lot of selection out there. How do you decide which one's right? Um, so that's that I, I won't give you one product, but I will give you some guidelines. What I will tell you is look at the label. So you want to avoid anything that has dextrose or glucose or maltose or any of those sugars first, because your product's going to be mostly sugar. So go for a product that's going to have predominantly sodium and chloride. You can all, and then the other ones as well. There are a lot of really good high uh good named high end products and and that's all you need to do is just avoid something with a lot of sugar in it first. The other thing you can do is just plain old table salt. Uh years ago that's all the endurance riders used to use was a tablespoon of um table salt. And when I'm dealing with clients in my practice, um if we just want a horse to drink more, they don't have to go down to the feed store and buy a twenty dollar, you know, can of fancy electrolytes they can just take a tablespoon of their table salt and put it in the horse's feed and that will help the horse it will encourage the thirst center and make the horse drink more so if you do have a uh, an endurance ride coming up maybe your first one um which dr mara knows that that's my plan for this weekend is to do my my first limited distance um should i be giving my mare salt ahead of time since that's not something i've done in the past as part of her daily ration and I ask that partly because our nutritionist that we work with at the horse a lot Dr. Tunes is always saying a tablespoon of salt a tablespoon of salt and it always seems like so much to me <laughs> so <laughs> and is that just because I'm used to sprinkling it on my tortilla chips and just a little bit goes a long oh, way like, yeah yeah a tablespoon really really is great it will stimulate the thirst the, the excuse me the thirst center um, what a couple important points that we should get across to the audience. One is that uh, you can, the horse cannot store electrolytes. So when it reaches an appropriate blood, excuse me, blood level, not in its blood anyway. Um, so it'll reach an appropriate level of sodium, chloride, all that stuff. It's it's the tank is full, and that's in the gut level and the blood level. So adding more is not going to. So in other words, this is a definitely a case where more is not better than less. But you, the idea behind pre-dosing is merely to make sure that those stores are right at the level that they should be. Now, a horse that you're, your horse that you're, you said you're going to do maybe, I don't know, 10 or 15 miles, you may or may not need to do that 
because your horse is going to rely on its gut stores of all that uh, electrolytes from the hay. And a, and a big tip uh, for endurance rides, any sort of ride, traveling, anything, is don't spend a whole lot of time making sure the horse stuffing a grain and mashes down the horse. If you preload that horse with lots of hay, that's the reservoir that they're going to use. Hay is a great source of all the electrolytes that we need. So now if the horse is going to start doing more, 25 miles and up, it's it's a nice, cheap, safe, easy bet by just giving them either a scoop of your favorite electrolyte or a tablespoon of your table salt. Three, four days, if it's going to be a really big thing and you're traveling a long way, even a lot of people will do a week out all the way through and then even a couple days after. And it's just cheap insurance to make sure that everything is tip-top because when horses travel, we learn, and it was our sport that actually did a lot of the research on that. The volume of water that they lose just in transport is significant. So they, the longer they're transported, the more fluids they're going to lose. The longer they're going to need to be at a, a show area, a show arena, uh, uh, an endurance ride site somewhere, and they're going to need time to catch up and drink all that water. We have a question from Tom in our live audience that's also about salt, and he wants to know if having a salt block available to the horse is enough, or do you need to be supplementing more than that? So I'm a big fan of, I like the red salt blocks uh, as a minimum. A lot of people like to do red and white. I don't think it matters. At least do the red trace mineral, and I know, I think in here one of these questions was uh, one of the horses would, wouldn't eat them at all. You do not have to supplement if you're not if your horse is more of a pasture pet or only occasionally being ridden. If the horse is really working hard every day, then a lot of uh, competitive people will add, as you're just saying, your nutritionist as well, will add either a scoop of electrolyte mix or a tablespoon of table salt. Um, I tend to be able to get away with, I don't do that. So I, I do have 100 mile horses. I do train in the heat. They do have red salt blocks out there. They have hay almost 24-7, and then they get some grain when they work, but mostly just hay, and I think that is what makes a difference for them. So they self-correct after every ride by just eating their hay. But I will pre-dose before I go to a big ride. We have a question from Gail in our live audience. She says that on the thoroughbred racetrack, they hose the horses down before they go to the paddock, before the race on hot days. Is that a good practice? Funny she says that because I pull mine out of the field before I'm going to go work them. And, of course, A, they're dust balls, and B, <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, it might keep the – it'll certainly – for thoroughbred, it might make a pretty big difference because they're, what, working, you know, miles. Sorry, it, it'll make a difference for them. It will cool them prior to being worked, and then they'll go get work. Now, for those of us that are going to go ride hours, no, it's probably not providing very much benefit. But any horse that's going to go do a brief sort of intense workout, that's probably exactly why they developed that habit. Thoroughbred racetrack developed lots of habits that maybe at the time, 50 years ago, we didn't know why. And now the science is starting to catch up with why they do what they do. Uh, we have a question from our live audience. Connie lives in Kentucky, and she said her horse tends to drop a bit of weight every summer, especially when it's really hot and humid. Could this be from sweating? Is there anything I can do to keep his weight up? I would probably ask whether the horse was older or not, or a PPID horse or not. Uh, I, 
that is an interesting question because I wouldn't necessarily think I usually see horses drop weight in the winter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I guess in this case, her horse is telling her, wow, it's harder for me to cope in the heat stress. So she would probably need to either A, figure out ways to keep him more comfortable, either provide more shade for him or some way that he could potentially be a little cooler, if at all possible. And if it's not, everything is wonderful with management, then she's going to have to increase his feet because he's just telling her, hey, I, I'm not coping with this environmental stress as well as I do in and, and of course, Kentucky winters are probably not that cold. So, in his this horse's case, it's the uh, it's the real heat that's bothering him. That's harder. Yeah. All right, we yeah. have a question from our live audience from Gina. She said that she's moving up to from upstate New York to Florida in a few weeks for her husband's job, and she's concerned about her horses, especially her senior mare, and how they'll handle the transition to a much warmer climate. Do you have any tips on how to make the transition as smooth as possible? That's hard during the, the middle of summer to make that move. Yeah, and and good on her because it, that will, those horses, so the first month or so, they are probably going to, they're going to struggle more because they are not going to be heat adapted at all. Now, luckily, upstate, I remember upstate New York, at least it was hot and humid. So she's leaving a humid climate for another humid climate. Um, the best thing she could probably do is either uh, provide them with pretty much 24-7 turnout with shade available. So either run in sheds or done up trees and they have a lot of ventilation. Or if they need to be in a barn installed some part of the day, those would be the kind of horses I would make sure they were in the best ventilated stalls and still have fans on them. And she'd find that they'd probably do a little bit better if they had fans on them and if they had to be in a stall. Um, we have a question from Joy. It's a follow-up. Uh, she's listening live. It's a follow-up to the salt conversation. She wants to know if salt should be iodized or not iodized. Uh, and let me, I want to add to that last one before with the yes. horses, older horses adapting, those would be animals I would probably salt some feed for them. So I would start a slurry for them um, or in their feed a week before they left, right through transport and probably the first month as they adapt and learn to drink more water to deal with the higher temperature that they're, and again, it may not be higher temperature, but it's probably the higher heat index of the heat and the humidity combined. Um, as, far, as far as iodize, not iodize, it doesn't matter. It doesn't seem to matter in horses. Okay. We have a question from Lynn in our live audience. She said she just returned from a two-week vacation to hot and humid weather at home. She said her horse has been off for those two weeks, but has was working regularly before. Does she need to take any special precautions for her horse as she brings him back to work after a little break? Uh, he's only been off. If he's only been off two weeks, no, he has not lost any of his fitness or heat tolerance at all, especially if he's been living in it. Uh, our next question is from Liza, who submitted it via Facebook. She wants to know, do draft horses handle heat worse than other horses? That uh, they, they do in the sense that if they are being asked to work, um, and that, so this goes back to the same issue we were talking about. So the horse, produces a tremendous amount of heat when it works through this muscles. The muscles are somewhat inefficient. Um, you know, about about 70% of the energy that they produce through their muscle is released as heat. So a draft horse has tons more muscle and, and body than a lighter horse. So they're going to produce more heat per pound of muscle, if you will. 
Um, and so they do, they do struggle more. They, and, and that's probably why we think of them as, you know, plodding along in fields, plowing fields calmly and sedately <laughs> versus running, you know, a mile that a thoroughbred would, would do. So they will not get into trouble if they are appropriately attended to and not asked to work beyond their means. So you, the same rules would apply for them. If they start to pant too much, sweat too much, refuse to do the work. I, I realize draft horses have become popular now as saddle horses, and so people do need to take a little bit more caution with them and realize that they will get hot and overheated faster than lighter-bodied horses and will require much more aggressive cooling. So in the endurance world, there are there are a few of them, um, and and those owner those riders absolutely spend way more time with with sponges and scoops and water by the water troughs and in the shade trying to cool them. Um, Kathy and our live audience wants to know, after working a horse on a hot day, what temperature of water do you recommend to hose them off with? Should it be cold? Should it be warm? Should it be hot? And should you do it with or without liniment? <laughs> okay. So if it's hot and dry, it doesn't, seem to matter that much uh you know just water from your hose is fine if you're living in hot and humid temperatures if you put water on the horse that is the same temperature as the air you're not going to get yourself very far and that's where you would want to have colder water so and i would assume it probably would be if it's coming from a from a well um liniment no liniment that i that's just personal preference one of the well the one caveat to that is one of the tricks that uh, some people racing in endurance in this in the very hot humid areas and or uh, veterinarians who have a horse they're treating for heat stroke is they add alcohol to the water uh, so it's the same trick as ice ice water helps cool the horse faster and alcohol rubbing alcohol like a one of those little pint things added to several gallons uh, will also help increase evaporative cooling so liniment, I suppose, would probably it's probably going to provide some of the same thing mm -hmm. because of the the alcohol in it. Right, exactly. Yeah. Depending on yeah. which liniment you use. Yep. Yep. Um, we have a question from Pam in Newmarket, Tennessee. This we actually several people submitted the same question. Uh, during extreme heat, which is better, having your horse out in their pasture or having them in the stall? Right, I saw that. So that so the answer to that is ventilation, ventilation, ventilation. So wherever the horse so and I and I can put this in perspective. So if the horse it depends, it depends. So if your horse is out in pasture with absolutely no shade at all versus having a stall that has a breeze, then the stall would be better. But if the horse is out in a pasture and has even trees for shade or a run-in shed versus being put in a stall, and we all can picture these. Some of these barns are older or not well-built. Um, I used to see that more in the Northeast. California tends to have very big, airy sorts of um, much more ventilated because we don't need as much protection from the weather. So I can picture some East Coast barns right now where the stalls are like ovens. There's no... Mm -hmm ventilation whatsoever that would be far worse than a horse probably standing out in the sun in an open field where at least it would get some ventilation 
So a lot has to go into thinking about um, the the horse's ability to pick up a breeze to help cool themselves. Um, our next question is from Laura in Santa Rosa, California. And so we've already talked about heat exhaustion and heat stroke, but she wants to know what are the warning signs that a horse is becoming dehydrated? So that's even before maybe exhaustion sets in. Right. That um, simplest things are going to be the first thing, this is, so for example, if you were riding with a heart rate monitor, one of the first things you would notice is what we call, we obsess over this, is failure to recover the heart rate. And the heart rate will start to go really high. Now, if you're an average rider and you don't do that, probably the first thing you're going to notice is that your horse will have been sweating along fairly regularly, and then the sweat's going to decrease. And, it, and you're going to be like, wait, what? Why isn't, you know, what happened? The horse was sweating pretty normally a while ago. And that's telling you, that it's starting to use up as fluid reserves. Then if you were to say, okay, this is worrying me, and you hop off and you look at your horse, and you do the skin tent and, and pinching thing, it's gonna look like it's not normal, it's not delayed. And everybody should do this at home so they get used to what's normal. So grab that skin right over the shoulder, because every horse is different, and older horses have less elastic skin, and they'll be a little, um, they won't skin tent as the same as a young horse. So get used to your horse as normal. And and then the gums are starting to feel a little tacky. A uh, big one we use in the endurance world is we put a thumb in the jugular groove and we watch that jugular vein refill. It should refill right away. So it should make like a nice little pipeline. And if it doesn't, you're getting dehydration. Those would be all the subtle things. Um, well, somewhat subtle. Anyway, you need to be looking for them. And we had a question from uh, Patricia in Maple Valley, Washington, and she wanted to know how many gallons of water should a horse be drinking every day when it's hot out? So when it's hot, so normal gallons of water, uh, average temperature is 5 to 7, maybe even 5 to 10. In extreme heat, they can drink up to 20 gallons in a day. So that's a lot. But I would say average summer is probably going to be maybe even 10 to 15 per day. Uh, I notice out here in 100 degree heat in dry California, they're probably easily 15 and, and really bad heat spells can be 20 gallons per horse per day. Um, we have a question from Lucy in Alberta, Canada, and she wants to know if a horse is overheated in the past, would they be more susceptible to have it happen in the future? Not necessarily. So one would hope that it was just operator error the first time if you will and and you correct your own mistakes and the horse does fine the only reason a horse would be quote more susceptible would be if there's some underlying condition like we talked about ppid like anhydrosis like some other um, even insulin resistant horses that have a lot of high sugar and again don't seem to have the same metabolics as a healthy horse seem to struggle uh, but but just uh, horse A to horse B and you made a mistake and you overrode your horse in, in the hot weather one day, would it do that again to you next summer? No, not necessarily. We have a question from Rodrigo in our live audience and he wants to know if mules and donkeys handle heat differently than horses. That is a good question. I um, would have to say I probably see, I deal with a lot of mules and donkeys out here. Um, yes, I would. I don't know that we have a lot of science behind that, but because nobody's really looked. But certainly, the donkey evolved 
to be uh, more of a desert animal, along with their ability to eat air and scrub grass. <laughs> they do seem to um, to not be as bothered by the extreme temperatures. They just they're definitely more tolerant. The packers, our our government uh, park service packers, they definitely tolerate stuff at a much better level than a horse will. Um. We have a question from Nancy in Dunlap, Tennessee, and she wants to know if the coloring of a horse can affect how it's affected by heat. Would heat be worse for a black horse than for, say, a chestnut or a gray-colored horse? They definitely, if you put your hand on them, they definitely are hotter. So the dark coats are going to absorb sunlight more. So the answer to that is if, only if they're in the direct sunlight. So if they're standing in the shade, no, they're going to be equal equal temperatures. But if they're standing out in the bright sunlight, um, that then absolutely the lighter coats are going to reflect and not absorb as much heat as a darker coated horse. Gail is in California, and she wants to know if you have any recommendations for the best kind of saddle pad to use in hot weather. I can tell you what to avoid. You want to avoid, well, uh, first of all, it depends on how long you're riding and how much work you're going to do. So, but in general, in hot weather, you would want to avoid anything that's going to trap a lot of heat, like a neoprene pad, uh, very heavy sort of canvasy type pads that are going to absorb a lot of sweat. In hot weather, your best bet is going to go be with either a wool or synthetic wool, wool backs, cool backs, we call them. Um, you could use plain saddle pads like old Navajo rugs, which you'd probably want to trade them out because they're going to absorb a lot of, of heat. But the main thing is avoid anything that's going to trap a lot of heat. And all of your um, thick gel neoprene type with gels in them, gel pads, all that stuff's going to trap too much heat. We have a question from Gracie in Columbia, Kentucky. She said her horses don't have any shade in their pasture and that she can't afford to build a run and shed. Do you have any suggestions for ways that she can provide shade or cooling for her horses? I would, I was thinking that when I saw that, I was assuming she must have, they must have trees and trees would be sufficient shade. So um, if short of having trees, then the other, there are cheaper um, non non-permanent shade options uh in fact my daughter just put one up for her steer so there's there are several i don't i'm sure it's not appropriate to name brand so i won't but there are several um portable and non-permanent uh shade options that aren't the same as cost as a run-in shed and and you, probably somebody does need to do that if the horses are out in a straight field with no trees for shade that they probably need to figure out some way to provide something or they're going to need to be turned out at night and not out during the heat of the day. That would be the other option for this owner if that's easier for her. If she, well, she said she had no barn, but that's probably then she'll have to go with the, either trees or a temporary shelter type setting. Okay. Um, we have a question from Ron in Maryland, and he wanted to know how he can encourage his horse to drink. So we talked a little bit about salt and electrolytes. Is there any other way to get a horse to drink enough on hot days yeah there's a lot of and and honestly salting will really it will force them to drink and I use that trick I used to use that trick in upstate New York even more in the winter time when I'd have horses that would get bad uh, colon impactions from not drinking enough in 10 degree weather so salt really will do the trick 
Other things that you can do are um, if you add, uh, endurance riders love to add like a handful of rice bran or like some kind of stable mix, and you add that to the water, and horses think that's sometimes the greatest thing ever. There are also um, products available that are that do that, create that, make the water really tasty, and so they go after it. But the cheapest way is going to be to just add some salt to either a little bit of grain or make a slurry. A nice wet, you know, beet pulp mashy type slurry with a tablespoon of salt in it, and they will drink. They, it will stimulate the thirst center, and they will absolutely drink. We have a question from Leslie in our live audience, and she wants to know if there are any special precautions you should take with a horse that has metabolic syndrome in the heat. You should probably. You should probably watch them uh, for their sweating pattern and make sure they are sweating enough. Metabolic syndrome, probably by and by it of itself, if it's well controlled, the horse will probably be fine. In endurance, we do in limited distances, we do have a number of PPID and metabolic horses. They can't have the long coats. They have to be clipped. They have to be very well controlled on management and drugs if needed. And if so, if they're not high in insulin and glucose, they do fine. If they're not managed, if you will, then I do think you're going to have trouble. So the horse is going to have trouble cooling itself. It's going to have dis even potentially disruptions to its sweating pattern or not able to sweat as well. So I think if your metabolic resistant horse is running ship shape and everything's going well, there's no reason why you can't do what you would do with any athlete. You just probably need to be a little more sensitive. And, and watch it a little more closely. We have a question from Karen in our live audience. She wants to know if you need to sweat scrape horses after hosing them off before putting them back in the field after work. She says that she's read different things about just hosing down versus using a sweat scraper or not. Yeah, so that's become quite the rage right right now, as a matter of fact, like in the last six months to a year or two, in fact, since um, WAG last year. And that comes off of some of Dr. David Marlin's work. Um, I will tell you, yes, previous, we all felt, we all were taught and told, hose, scrape, hose, scrape, hose, scrape. Um, I, I get, I believe, I don't have the paper in front of me, I believe they did do some work research and they showed that um, actually the application of constant water and without scraping in the hot horse was was just fine and in fact was preferred because the water on the horse was pulling more heat in this case just a normal working horse i don't think it really matters and it's really going to be your preference um, if you have a really sick horse or horse that's in trouble the more water on the horse and don't worry about stopping to scrape just more water more water more water is going to get your results faster i personally probably hose and dump in the field because what's the point they're going to go rolling <laughs> <laughs> good point <laughs> uh, we have a question from laura in our live audience and she wants to know if foals cope with heat well or if they need any special care during hot days yeah they see isn't that funny they seem to be fine don't they probably because they're less so they're less body mass so they have less that they have to worry about uh to cool and they certainly seem to be savvy enough to control their own exercise and play. I, I can't say that I have ever dealt with a problem with a foal. Of course, they're not going through forced exercise. So that's probably why. They're self-regulating themselves. 
Uh, our next question is from Mary in our live audience, and she wants to know when it might be too hot to use a fly sheet. Hmm. I think they're, the technology on those now, you know, a lot of us have probably been in horses a long time. Remember the old canvas turnout rugs and terrible <laughs> things, and now blanket and fly sheet technology is just fantastic. Um, I don't think it's really ever we have horses out here in California that just suffer terribly from insect allergies and we keep fly sheets on them 24 seven, maybe in Florida with high heat and humidity. Um, it, I can't imagine where it's still, those things breathe so well while repelling the insects that unless you pulled it off and the horse was drenched in sweat underneath, that would be your tip off. If you, if you, if you check underneath your fly sheet and your horse is just sweating standing there, then yeah, okay, in the very extreme days, maybe you need to pull it off, but you probably need to balance how the, the needs of the horse and its insect, assumably insect allergies and discomfort versus versus that. So it's probably only in the very, very, very extreme days. Uh, we have a question um, from Christy in Crestwell, Oregon, and she wants to know if night turnout can be risky because there's nocturnal creatures and mosquitoes out. You mentioned that night turnout is an option earlier. Is Should uh, Christy be concerned about animals that are out and about after dark? Um, well, and we, we were, we were, I was chuckling to myself beforehand because I live in, in, in a predator-rich environment with mm -hmm mountain lions and, and bears and coyotes and all kinds of things. Um, I, I think it's what the horse learns. And I, I now I think, I think honestly, summertime is sort of a nightmare for horses. They really suffer terribly with the bugs, not the heat so much, it's the bugs. So I personally think they really, you know, when it starts to fall dark and the bugs finally give them a break, they, uh, they, they the flies potentially, they, they really would prefer to be outside uh, when it's dark. Um, mosquitoes, you know, that's just, they're a nightmare. <laughs> no matter when, <laughs> what, where, when, you know, it's morning, it's dusk and dawn is when the mosquitoes feed most of the time. Although, yes, in hot, humid Florida, they feed like 24-7 and can carry horses away when there's so, so many of them. But I would never, um, and in fact, I, it's funny, I have many clients, my horses wear their fly masks. 24/7 in the dark as well because they can mm -hmm. see right through them just fine and I know I have clients that are obsessive about that yeah the only thing we just make sure we take them on and off so they're they don't get sores which they can but um they have such fantastic vision and are just adapted to be in their environment that nighttime is probably you know again their preferred time to be outside in the summer thanking you for joining us tonight Thank you. It was a lot of fun. Went really fast. <laughs> yeah, it's these Ask the Horse Live, they're the fastest hours of my month. Um, they always go by really fast because we have such yeah. great questions from our audience. Um, yes, you did. Your audience was great. Yeah. Uh, if you're listening, um, I hope that you can join us next month. We're going to be talking about hoof care and hoof problems. That's a big one. Until then, from all of us here at the Horse, have a great night. <laughs>